Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 94, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. How the arts can help students who struggle most. And should a teacher have been suspended for encouraging students to have parents complain about a cold classroom? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, a how-to guide on building digital portfolios with your students. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I am great. Are you ready for spring? It's technically spring. It's April now. <laughs> we have like a week of spring, and then it just gets yeah, it's, so it's hot like 80, and 90, humid. 100 degrees. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is one of my favorite times of year, spring, yes. fall. It's, it's a good time. And this is a big month for multiple reasons. Have you done your taxes yet That this month? No. It's not the worst. You're a small business owner, so it's like... It's that much harder. Yes. Like you have to have all your receipts. Right. And like try to find things that you paid for. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't finished either. And I wonder when that's going to change. Do you think that's going to change? Oh, uh, we're just like a flat really, rate maybe or something. Well, uh, yeah. Or just, or that you're, you know, that it's, well, we can clearly see a digital charge. So you don't necessarily have to have the receipt. You know what I mean? Like oh, I just yeah. kind of wonder yeah. when's the receipt thing going to go away? I, I scan everything, so, but yeah, oh. yeah, but I hear you. Um, and then, uh, you know what else is this month that I'm excited about? Mm. Season eight, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, that's you're, right. You're, you're a fan, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I watch. That's a good one. Don't recommend it for the kids, if any kids are listening. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great show, and I'm pretty excited about that. And it's it's everywhere I look. Like, I mean, for like the past two weeks, they've been on TV on every show, and we still have another two weeks to wait, so, but we'll wait. Um, so that's April 14th. Um, are you ready to jump into the teacher's lounge? I, I love this topic. Um, research is out supporting the already well-known fact that arts integration actually helps improve retention of knowledge. So we already knew, there were a lot of people that already knew that when you incorporate the arts into science and history and whatever, that you're, you're, you know, although it makes learning more enjoyable, now there's research also that proves that it helps with retention right. of knowledge. So when you say arts, drawing, singing, dancing? Any arts. So yeah, that could be like rapping if you have your, if you have a challenge in your science class where they have to do get they, up and rap. Do they still do that, rapping? They school? do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cade had to do it yeah. recently where they rap, They were rapping something about history. Um, I was watching The Bachelor the other night. <laughs> And the, oh. the guy, the guy like met the girl for the first time in like the meeting, you know, and he like rapped something. And I was like, did that guy really like think that was the best idea to like meet the new so bachelorette? So he was like beatboxing or something? He didn't quite beatbox, but it wasn't that far off. And I just want to be like, did he like, have, did he run this by his friends before he got up there and did that on national? Kind of like you ran it by your friends before you announced on a podcast that you watched The Bachelor? Well, I'm... <laughs> I that's Did funny that you say that. Did that guy really just watch The Bachelor? It's funny you say that. I describe <laughs> watching The Bachelor like eating popcorn. It's 
it's I mindlessly consume it, but then I feel horrible afterwards and like <laughs> I completely wasted my time or my energy and shouldn't have done it. And it was a I, I mean, you could line up ten people and I wouldn't know who the bachelor was or have even heard his name. That's which I know. I also don't look at my phone as much as y'all and all that, but yeah, I just yeah. have no idea. <laughs> no was, idea. Uh, he was a virgin this past season. Oh my yeah. gosh, Nick. Yeah, right. No. A, I just like a, see, I don't even want to know that. There you go. Like well, there's was, no way they just, that's they, anyone's They make business. good TV. It's awful though. But it's yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, all it right. is awful. Back on okay. Track. So yes, rapping, dancing, drawing. If you can incorporate that into your science and or history or literature lessons then you are going to see retention on tests and they even have what they call delayed tests, which are 10 weeks later. Mm -hmm. How much do you remember? So this story is about science. I have a hard time retaining knowledge in science. Yeah. Mainly, I'm not, I don't care. Mainly, and and I know that science is so interesting. Like, I mean, sometimes yeah. when someone's telling me something, I'm like, Really? But I think I live in such a whimsical brain that it's so far out there. Right. Like, you need I'm to, like, are there really planets out there, guys? Like, really? Like, because yeah. to me, it's just, I'm right here in this little rainbow world of mine that those things are so cool. They yeah. are. And I'm so thankful for them. But I'm not going to be able to focus what it takes to learn and understand and grasp all that makes all of that in science work, even when it comes to even the human body. Yeah. So I think there's got to be a lot of people out there like me that they're like, that's pretty cool. But then that's it. That's all they, that's all they really you need say. a song about photosynthesis. Well, there is one. There's, yeah. there's yeah. a couple of great ones out there. So <laughs> that this, you know, we had a, a teacher that rapped on our podcast back in the oh, beginning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay? He was, he was so, great. Yeah. He did economics. That's right. Yeah. So, the, this is right along with the rapping. What was he was the? I would have to look up his name. Oh, he was, I liked him. Hang he on. had a name. He had a rap I'm, name. I'm, you you keep talking about it. I'm going <laughs> to look him up while, and I'll tell you what episode it is. Should somebody want to go back in the archives of the class dismissed? I mean, it was some good stuff. He had some like he actually. No, he was serious. No, like serious. he was. He was not like I would. Greg, get, Greg Kasky out of Delaware. And it's called the rapping professor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, the, it, it was the teacher highlighted. He was highlighted by like a renowned economist for his rapping lesson plans. Like this, like well-known economist, like okay. And so, if I rapped in front of my class, which when I taught, you know, pre-algebra and algebra, I made up little jingles and cheers and raps to go with certain things, like finding the area and perimeter and circumference, so that they would always remember those things. And I have students that are out of college that come, they'll see me somewhere and then they'll start saying, to find the perimeter, they'll like do the whole little cheer and I'm like, right. oh my gosh, they're like, I still remember it, which is great because, I mean, that goes into arts integration is you're going to have long-term retention of things that maybe they are not going to be using very often in their life. Mm -hmm. They'll remember it because you put it to a dance or a song or a jingle. Um, and if they had to do something like a collage with, you know, if you're talking about animals with consumers and, you know, if they have to do an art collage where they sort things and find pictures and so, sort them to so consumers and non So I agree with everything you're saying. Are teachers doing this? Are they taking this advice? Yeah, I do think there's a lot of yeah. teachers that are doing it. I think what... Do you ever have a teacher come to you and be like, hey, help me make up an art project? 
Well, so I, as an art teacher, I find out what they're learning about in science or in... Oh, I didn't know you did that. And I do <laughs> art so lessons. I've never so like, about we that. just did polar bears. Yeah. And we drew polar bears, and then we did the northern lights, because they're learning about the, the Arctic. The aurora yes. borealis. And that's right. right. And so I try to do that. And if you're an art teacher, you should. You yeah. should totally peer into the curriculum and figure out what can I do that'll go along with this because the kids get so excited when I'm showing how you can do your polar bear sky and I start to do little dashes of color and one of them lights up and says I know what that is you know because they just learned about it so so anyway it's easy for the art and music teacher to support what you're learning. But I think what this story is talking about is if you do these activities in your classroom while you're learning, Mm -hmm. you're going to have better results on the test. And then if you have a nine weeks test or an an exam at the end of the semester, they're going to retain that knowledge because they're literally sitting there in the seat singing through a song to try to remember that fact. I agree. Look, I'm going to, I'm going to play a clip from episode seven Hip hoponomics. I chuckle about this because you know this began as my little graduate school project and has really blossomed into something that I could never quite have imagined. So I'm going to play another little clip from a song. This one's called uh, "Free Enterprise System." I don't know if you like this one as much as I do, but I like the book. <laughs> I think this one is it's Wu Tang, right? Is that that would be correct? Yeah, don't deny he's fly. Yeah, he's an economics kind of guy. Yo, ask why? Well, let me supply. Yeah, he's a rapper in disguise, but there's a teacher on the outside. Yo, got questions? Well, let me advise. Yeah, keep the feds outside and let it flow. That's free enterprise. It ain't some mystery. It's a bird that flies on its own. It's natural, like a baby that cries. So what's kind of your your most successful song? What do you think of that? I mean, like, I would probably struggle a little bit in economics class just because, again, that's one of those things that just doesn't hold my interest and focus. Mm. But I think I would remember more or it would make sense to me. I mean, he worked I, free enterprise into a song. That's impressive, I know. you know? And, and this, this study that I'm talking about was done from John Hopkins University, and they actually showed that if you are a below average reader and you have a teacher that is incorporating some of these things into their lessons before testing takes place, that those students that are below average readers are going to perform way better if you can incorporate those kind of things. Even if you split your class into groups and each group has to make up a song to a well-known tune or whatever about a different topic, the child that does not read as well, that is sitting there in their group having to help make up a song, but also listening to other topics be performed, they're taking that in instead of just reading yeah, paragraphs no, I, I about agree. it. And so they're learning. Um, it just gets you moving around the classroom, gets your brain absolutely. moving. So, And then even like that, one of the examples is in a science class, if you're talking about solids, liquids, and gases, if you get your students up, and make them spread apart to show gas and then make them hug real tight and close to show a solid, you know? Yeah. So even things like that make it make more sense because you're using movement and whole body and they're going to remember that instead. You said this was research? Like where where was it out of again? Did you say that already? Yes, I did. From Johns Hopkins University. They provided. They're the the ones that did the research and they they tested it across many schools they and what one thing that was interesting about their 
testing was they did four-week sessions. So the same students that went into an arts-integrated science classroom also went into a conventional science classroom, four weeks in each, just to show that, you know, there's two ways to to get there. Mm-hmm. But when they're polled afterwards, of course, the students always enjoyed the arts-integrated classroom more, and there was no retention loss. There was retention gained. I believe so it. So why not do it? It's, a, it's an important tool in your classroom. I believe it. Well, let's play um, a game where um, we try to determine whether or not the administration made the right choice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Okay. We do this. This is like a here. scary game for someone that works yeah, right, in a school. Right. You're like well, skating out. I don't and I I I actually like changed my opinion on this one from the first time I read it to the second time I read it. So, I mean, I, I'm on the fence. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, her name's Mary Logan. Uh, she's a high school teacher in Michigan and her classroom was ridiculously cold. It was 58 degrees, and that's cold. That's oh, my gosh, that's cold. Yeah, that's cold for a classroom. And so she decided she was going to do something about it. So she put a note, I think she projected a note, like on a Promethean board or something, and it was like, quote, call your parents, tell them to call the board office if you are cold. And so the calls came in. The uh, district decided that um, she didn't handle that the right way, and they suspended her for three days and reprimanded her, wrote her up, essentially. Was she in the wrong? Was Did the district go too far? Well, I would have to ask some questions. This is obviously high schoolers that she taught. Right. Okay. So we treat our high schoolers like young adults. High school teachers are very sarcastic and worldly with their students, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, did she? Is there proof that she ran this issue up the chain many times? That's. Let me just double check in the article because that's that's what I think. Like I yeah. don't think she did. And okay. I, and well, I if she that, didn't, then yeah, she did not handle it correctly. There's a chain of action, and if she didn't initiate that chain, then I mean, we have help tickets at our school. All you have to do is go on your computer to the county login and with your school district and submit a help ticket and it goes directly that's, to somebody that they apparently can, have a system but i think and she, she bypassed the system that's yeah. well then then that was very very aggressive of her yeah there, he, the and it, i mean the students obviously need to understand that if that's how you work in an interlocking group of people if that's how you work around others then don't expect to be treated kindly right. you know she obviously i mean because I will say the men that come into my classroom to fix my AC or to fix my sink or whatever, they're not teachers. They work for the school district mm-hmm, right. and I value what they do right. and they value what yeah. I do. It, it, and if it, I yeah. didn't reach out to them and let them know that there was a problem right? and I just went, had parents just call and say, that guy needs to get over there. Then that's not, that's not that, kind. That's, that's not where, how you work with others. This is where I ended up with the story. I felt like she didn't, do the right the teacher didn't do the right thing and and well, I'm taking the, your word for it. I haven't the, read the story. Well, there is a what they call a work order system where they submit tickets and it may take a few days, but she sounds as I read through the article, she sounded bitter, a little uh, like absolutely. you know, a little frustrated with her with her job. Which would make you think that she had sent that help ticket in many times and it wasn't answered. Right, which there's no sign of that in right. this particular story. Not to say that, you know, we're hearing the response from the district being okay. like but you know, suspended for three days, it's pretty tough. 
unless there's like an investigation going on in those three days, you know, it's almost like the suspension was part of like go cool off, I guess. Maybe there was probably, yeah, there's probably some things that happened after that then added to the suspension of three days. But also if you have a freezing classroom, you know, and you didn't do your part as the first line of defense as a teacher to make that classroom comfortable for learning by submitting a help ticket, then, you know, she, she could be suspended for that. Because she was neglectful. She, it sounds like there's some new leadership there, and she feels like the disciplinary action is um, not an isolated incident, that they're being more aggressive with their disciplinary action. And she says um, that it's hurting morale there. And um, the discipline of our teachers and our support staff and the principals has been rampant. Mm-hmm. Uh, she adds, teachers should not be walking on eggshells when they go to work every day. They're there to educate, and they need to be building relationships with the district and their students. Well, I, you know, that would be a tough situation to work in, and I hate that for her. But I do, I would have a lot more sympathy for her if she had submitted the help ticket Mm -hmm. for the AC unit, you know? I mean, I've had to, I'm I'm a new teacher on this staff um, at my school this year, and I've had to submit three separate help tickets for three separate things that you know, light bulbs, AC, and a sink. And they've all been handled within a timely manner with very, very nice gentlemen that have come in to fix it. And that's how you work well with others. You've got to handle people with respect. People were arguing that it violated her free speech. I disagree with that in this case. I feel like, you know, she she needs to follow the chain of command. It's, it's that yes, simple. She's totally allowed yeah. to complain about how cold it is and how right. it always breaks. She's totally allowed to say, oh yeah, they'll come fix it and it's going to break again because we really need a new unit and they won't buy a new unit and this yeah. thing is broken 10 times. She's allowed to say that. But if she doesn't do something that's in the structure of the school of this is what you do when this happens. That would be very much like a fight breaking out and her not calling the office and letting them know about a fight because mm. a fight happens all the time. That would be neglectful. That's not okay. Do you know why they have a, an issue with temperature? They had originally an open classroom concept and the, the ceiling, like the walls didn't go to the ceilings. Mm-hmm. And then I guess they realized that it was distracting. So they walled off all the way to the ceiling. Oh. And now there's not vents in every room. Oh. And therefore you have this inconsistent flow of air. So there is nothing, there is nothing that she can put a ticket in for then. If uh, she they, doesn't have they a talk unit about in like the room. Adjusting vents or stuff. Or maybe she has one vent and most rooms have three. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know the exact situation it's there. It's like an but, old dormitory. We yeah. used to put a poster board over right. our vent with yeah. one little hole in the poster board right. because if you were the first room on the hall oh, you closest, the air, you got right. the blast of air. Yeah. Oh, so we would like put the poster board with one little hole yeah. so that we just got a little bit of air. College life. <laughs> yeah. Well, good times. Are you ready for the uh, Bright Idea? Yes. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is aggressively leading the way in his school district when it comes to digital portfolios. Daniel Witt is the Instructional Technology Coordinator at Madison City Schools in Madison, Alabama, and he recently wrote a great piece in, on uh, edsurge.com about making digital portfolios a priority for students. Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. You know, before we uh, dig into the finite details on digital portfolios, I want you to help me kind of draw a picture for listeners on on what exactly a digital portfolio is like in your school district. 
Well, um, digital portfolios, um, big picture, can be a variety of things. Um, what we've what we've really sought to do here in Madison is create a an idea of what a digital portfolio is that is applicable um, all the way from kindergarten all the way up through graduation. So though the tools and the formatting and things like that may change, um, the basic concept for all students is practicing constant show, then reflect. That's kind of our mantra. And if you watch the portfolio documentary we released earlier this year, that's a big part of what we're talking about. So it's the idea of having a showcase place or a place where students can curate their work, um, their successes, their failures, the things they care about, some of their classwork, things like that, um, but do a lot more than just show. So we think that um, a major area of deficiency in public education is reflection. And so one of the biggest things we're attempting to prioritize with this movement is um, making a space purposefully for reflection in the daily lives of our kids. And so that um, space, the way I kind of see it and kind of going through your documentary, which we'll, we'll link to in the show notes, uh, it's on YouTube, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the space is, is a website, essentially. Is that what you guys are setting up these students with? Yeah, I think by the time kids get into the secondary grades, um, for us that means 7 through 12 right now. Um, by the time they get there, I think they, they need to be exploring, you know, website design. And there's so many tools out there, and so many of them are free, that not doing it is, uh, in my opinion, a major disservice to kids. So, yeah, by the time they get there, that's kind of what they should be thinking, whether they're using Google Sites or Weebly or something like that, or, or going a little bit more sophisticated with something like Wix. And some of our most advanced kids in high school especially are using things like Adobe's Dreamweaver to build it from scratch, which is really amazing. But mm -hmm. in the earlier grades, you know, we think of it more as something like um, Seesaw, uh, which is a fantastic platform um, for showing and reflecting and creating a parent engagement triangle between the kid, the parent, and uh, the teacher. Um, and then Class Dojo, things of that nature. So the idea is to scale this down into elementary, you often have to sort of abandon the idea of web design, especially for K through two, mm -hmm. and uh, sort of replace it with um, usually a touchscreen friendly app of some sort. So these kids are doing something incredible in their school, and the idea is to take those projects that they're doing, whether it be part of a play or an art project or writing, and, and then put mm -hmm. it on a platform so parents, teachers, anybody can take a look at it, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the idea here is um, to showcase things that are not easily quantified, right? So um, if I am a third grade student and I have been working for the last three weeks in um, one of my special classes or electives on building a rocket out of cardboard and duct tape, mm -hmm. then I take photos along the way and I sort of um, curate images into the journey, the learning journey along the way. And maybe I put all of those photos in and I write a one or two sentence reflection under each photo to show my progress, not just the progress of the rocket, but my emotional process, my learning process as a human being um, and, and what it felt like to fail the first time and things of that nature. What happens during that reflection process? Do you believe that more learning is taking place there? Yeah, I, 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 would, I, I would venture to say that I know that more learning is happening there. Um, you know, I don't think it's rocket science. I think 
for me as an adult, I'm now um, in my upper 30s. And now looking back in my school experience, the, the things that are memorable to me, um, the things that meant the most to me, um, often included failure and often included opportunities for me to discuss in some sort of dialogue format um, what type of experience I had. And so if we can create a platform and carve out purposeful time day to day in public school um, and prioritize that reflection time, we know that more learning is going to take place. From reading the article that you contributed to uh, edsurge.com, um, mm-hmm. it's, you sounded a little bit like a squeaky wheel in, in that regard of, of what you were just saying, which is, you know, you, you believe that a digital portfolio and these reflections is something that all school districts should really be embracing. And, and I said, I think you said a quote, um, it's crucial that we approach a digital portfolio, not just as another thing, but as both a vehicle and the fuel to approach the future of education. Um, so First, I will reference um, one, of my, one of my favorite thinkers alive in education right now, and that's Mark Prinsky. I quoted him, I think, at least once in the article, but his thinking has really um, shaped a lot of my thinking. Um, he believes, as do I, that the future of education is a new birth of two already existing um, formats. So if you think of like the pre-industrial time, um, Education essentially was apprenticeships. It was people pairing up with mentors as an apprentice, learning a skill or a trade, and then constantly failing, succeeding, failing, succeeding until they became a master of some sort um, in whatever category or categories they were pursuing. And then once the Industrial Revolution sort of reinvented our expectations for school, we standardized our expectations of all students. And so everyone's learning the same thing. Everyone's shooting for the same learning targets, the same goals, and so forth. And in my opinion, um, what, we, what we basically need to imagine in our minds is that sort of agrarian idea, pre-industrial, and then the post-industrial, which we're in now. And imagine if the two of them got together and had a baby, then that is going to birth something new, a new way of learning, a new way of thinking about education. We're we're as progressive as we can be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things holding us back that are not related to this school district. We, we are slave to a game, and the game must be played. And the game by that is, here in Madison, we are one of the most successful school districts in the state. Right. And on all traditional metrics, whether it's PSAT scores, ACT, um, STAR data, all of that stuff, we're always in the top five. And so the, it creates this environment between the parents and the leadership and the larger community. And even the students are part of this too. It creates an environment where there's sometimes very little impetus for change. So if you're already at the top of all traditional lists, why would you change much? Um, and I think that's a common theme throughout the United States for successful school districts. Um, so that's one, that's one problem. Now in districts with, um, high poverty, what they're stuck in is a, a cycle of, um, lowered expectations. They have a little less to lose though. And I think that there's a way to actually take those districts and make portfolios the thing that drive the change. 
because they do have an impetus for change, but the expectations have been lowered culturally over time. So if we can transform the way they think about learning by including digital portfolios in their day-to-day lives, I think we stand a chance of really igniting a fire and it would be a lot easier to measure the progress in those districts than it would be in highly successful districts. So you guys, Madison City Schools really seems to be leading the way um, from what I've seen with these digital portfolios. Have you had a chance or has, has your leadership has had a chance to, to go to a conference and maybe present what you guys are doing and kind of get some feedback on if other districts are doing something similar? Yeah, we've, you know, we've been to a variety of things. We've been to a few things. I, I go to things a lot. Um, you know, I, I have a team here. We, we work together. I have a lot of partners, um, both at central office and then in every school. We have 11 schools. And in all 11 schools, I have at least one or two people who have partnered with me on this. Um, some combination of our team has been to many, many conferences. Um, and of course, we've also been, you know, in this case, in a podcast, or we've written things for Ed Surge or um, ASCD, things like that. And what we find is that a lot of people are talking about digital portfolios, a whole lot of people. In fact, I would venture to say that every district in some way is talking about them. Um, the, the problem is there is no, at least prior to last year, there was no unifying vision. There was no, vi- no mission statement for them. Right. And there was no deeper philosophical understanding that could drive leadership and politicians to wrap their brain around why we should prioritize them in school. So we know that everyone's talking about them, and we know that tons and tons of teachers are wise enough to want to prioritize them, but it's hard to get that momentum and get over that initial moment of inertia um, when politicians and parents and others are not on board philosophically. So that kind of segues into why we created the digital portfolio documentary mm-hmm. and the Google Drive um, folder full of resources. Yeah, you, you give people the tools we, to do this, right? Yeah, we're really trying to. I mean, and, and to me, the tools are, are just as much a, a drive folder full of docs and sheets and slideshows and handouts and graphic organizers. It's just as much that as it is a, an, a video that tries to at least in some ways, appeal to the emotional side of people. I think there is a much larger human story underneath digital portfolios. And it's not just logistics. It's not just let's carve out 30 minutes a day or let's carve out two hours on Friday. It's more about let's carve out new categories in our brains. Let's actually build new purposes for school in our minds. And I think that's the larger movement that I'm trying to push right now because the tools now exist. So now it's about transforming the mindset of those who can actually instigate change. What does a digital portfolio look like for a senior in your district who's done it right? So there are a few sort of exemplars that we show. Um, And if you if you link out, you'll see it in the Google Drive folder. There's a there's a file in there that says read me first. And in there we have links to some exemplars. Um, A senior who's graduating high school has a really deep and thoughtful website that they can share readily that's published to the Web that is Google searchable. That's another thing we're trying to do with portfolios is um, basically we're trying to 
get a better digital footprint for our kids. Mm -hmm. If the first 10 or 20 Google results when that name gets Googled is positive content, especially positive content that's linked to a really well-curated digital portfolio, no one's ever going to dig deeper. No one's ever going to look at page 17 of the Google results to see that mistake a kid made on Twitter one time. There's always an about me page or something like it, and we highly encourage our students to shoot a simple video of themselves talking about their reflection, reflecting on their high school experience or what it meant to grow up in their hometown or whatever, and then really communicating openly, verbally, on camera about what your expectations for your own future are so that um, whoever's making a decision about you, about hiring you, or about giving you a scholarship actually has an idea of who you are, not just how you compare to the norm and things like that. I'm going to uh, link to y'all's informational site um, where you have this Google Drive and everything, but is there a direct link that you want to give people if they want to kind of look more into this? Um, usually the, the link that we hand out is tinyurl.com slash digitalportfolios-wholestory. Um, that link will take you directly to the Google Drive folder, um, and that's that's kind of the shareable link, and we have that on business cards, and we hand them out everywhere we go. But inside that Google Drive folder, the, the most important thing that you do is check out the Read Me First doc that's in there, and it'll link to the YouTube documentary, and it will link to exemplars and all sorts of things. All right, Daniel, well, we appreciate you uh, sharing everything you guys have on digital portfolios. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Let's go. All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Ooh, that's tough. I don't know that that subject exists yet, and I would like to build it. Um, To me, it's uh, future studies. That's something that's really on my mind. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with Alvin Toffler's work around uh, the idea of future shock. And I know for a fact that we live in a time right now where we can't even predict tomorrow, much less five years from now. And uh, in my opinion, we need to build a new class in school called Future Studies in which students learn over time how to adapt and speculate. Oh, good. That's, that is one of probably the most unique answer I've had uh, for that question. Cool. cool. <laughs> what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Ooh, please refer to answer number one. Got it. Uh, What does every child deserve? Every child deserves to have someone that they trust in the building that can be a point of contact for them um, outside of academics. Every student deserves to have someone that they can trust and go to Um, to have conversations about growth, about failures, about insecurities. And I think that um, Madison City Schools is definitely attempting to work on that problem. And there's a whole bunch of different solutions out there uh, and combinations of solutions. But that's what all students deserve. What's the uh, biggest challenge for today's educators? The biggest challenge for today's educators is force-fitting, in my opinion, force-fitting a traditional culture of education into a society that no longer values the exact same things from that traditional system. I think the average educator today knows good and well that their students live in a different world, and I know some great thinkers who would disagree with me on that, but um, the biggest problem is that Teachers are attempting to lead their classroom environment and in their classroom learning cultures into the future, 
but they're doing it backwards. They're walking backwards into the future is what I always say. And they're, they're sort of a slave to that traditional mindset. And so they're constantly negotiating with themselves and with their school systems. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. I think, um, and I talk about this in my Ed Surge article a lot, but we've got to subtract some stuff from our teacher's days. We can't keep stacking new things on top of them every single year, every semester, and sometimes every week. We have to learn to free them up um, because out of that freedom is born innovation. And without that freedom, without that extra time built in, they're, they're never going to innovate. They're always going to be slaves to uh, the current expectation set. What teacher changed your life? Uh, I've got a couple, but the, the first one that comes to mind, uh, man, I'm glad you asked that. I haven't thought about him in quite a while. His name was Mike Jones, and uh, he taught a gifted class, um, six, seven, and eight grade um, for me, so all throughout middle school. And um, the reason he sticks out in my mind is because he let me be me. He let me be the weirdo adolescent boy that I was. And he had uh, much higher expectations for me than the majority of my other teachers. And he accepted work that was outside the norm. He didn't want standard responses. And so I never felt compelled to give those to him. And it forced me into a situation where I had to put my money where my mouth was. When I say I'm unique, here's my proof. And he allowed me to turn in work that looked different and sounded different than other students. And that was very encouraging to me as an adolescent. Yeah, good stuff. Um, last question, pen or pencil? Pen or pencil? That's it. I'm a pen guy, man. I, um, I commit to stuff. And uh, as techie as I am, as digital as I am, um, I love, as an audio engineer, I love recording to analog tape because I like to have ideas, articulate them, and then commit to them in pen so that I can't erase. All right. Daniel Witt, uh, Instructional Technology Coordinator for Madison City Schools. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to kind of fill us in on on all the great stuff you guys are doing over there. It's my pleasure, Nick. Thanks again for having me. All right. Take care. That's going to do it for episode 19 of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember that you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and subscribe to the show, and we'd also love it if you leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast, or on Twitter, just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Staff, and Lissa representing all the teachers out there. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.